everybody, and welcome back to We've Got Mail. <laughs> uh, it's the letters episode. <laughs> letters <laughs> podcast. We got here and critically claimed. And, and William is in a whimsical mood today. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is our letters podcast here at Critically Acclaimed. We read your letters. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. For the purpose of the letters episode, if you must, uh, you may write in uh, to me as Rockmeister McCool. Uh, there is no wrong spelling and there's, of McCool. Yeah, and, and every spelling is correct. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, so here's how it works. You email us. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. And uh, we read as many as we can on the air. We never are able to catch up. Uh, we're very grateful to everybody who writes in. We try to read all of them, but only so many can make it to air. Uh, but that's why it's a weekly show. We try to get through as many as we can, and we don't like wasting time at the front of this podcast. This is your time, so let's get to it. Whitney, tell us about our first letter. Okay, this letter comes from Thomas. Hello, Thomas. Hi, Thomas. Uh, William, William, William. Oh, God, what do I do now? <laughs> uh, you, know I lo- you know I love both you guys. Uh-oh. I love letters that begin this way. And I've mentioned in the past how much your podcasting efforts have helped me cope with my mental illness. But when you're wrong, you're wrong. Okay, fair enough. Oh, I love being corrected. Um, no, I, I honestly, that's not facetious. Actually, no, I, like I, it. I like it when people call me out on my garbage. It, it can be a little embarrassing sometimes, mm. but that's how we that's how we grow. Uh, look, I, I I have one emotion left, and it's guilt and embarrassment. So that's <laughs> so we have one emotion left. It's, and, these, it's two. The, these two. Yeah. They're, they're they're folded together. Our chief emotions are guilt, guilt and embarrassment. Mm. You know, the, the, those two little uh, like inside out beings in my brain are just yeah. guilt and embarrassment. The, That's only, all ones, I got left. the only ones left. Everyone else is dead in a heap. In a yeah. <laughs> all right, what do we got? Uh, I'm referring to your claiming that the state in Pasadena was the longest continuously running movie theater in America. Hmm, was I, li- I lived for 25 years next door to uh, to what ended its life in 2008, the Ridgewood. Uh, before the Ridgewood closed its doors, literally becoming one of those ghost properties, which was operating on a Monday and abandoned the next day, it had been continually operating since 1902 as a cinema, wow. which makes it the longest continuously running movie theater in America. Fair. It lay there for a husk for about five years, during which the facade and some of the fixtures therein were declared a site of natural, national interest before developers turned it into luxury condos. I vividly remember coming across the two owners as they began gutting the place and telling them you're destroying history. I, I say that I say that to say this: New York is just as contemptuous of Cal- as California when it comes to movie theater history. I'm a big proponent of the theater-going experience. Nowhere else can a group of strangers sit in darkness and be unified and under a common reaction. I've seen a number of classic movie theaters turned into churches, Duande Reed pharmacies, a model's sporting goods, and in one case, a pediatric care center. The biggest heartbreak for me is the RKO Keith in Flushing, a gorgeous art deco theater where I saw Star Wars for the first time. No, I'm not calling it A New Hope. It was 1977. That's why <laughs> uncle took me to see, damn it. Where I took a girl I dated for a while to our first date to see Splash. The theater went out of business in the 90s and was bought by, by developers who intended to turn it into a parking structure. As the Keith was a national landmark, they were prevented from tearing it down, so they let the place literally rot away until it became unsafe to keep standing. For almost three decades, I would pass that theater when it was in Flushing and it broke my heart. There were several attempts to buy the theater from developers to restore it, one spearheaded by George Clooney, but the developers refused. Last month, I passed by the Keith to see an empty space where it was, and I practically cried. The history of our entertainment is important in the history of our cities, and having theaters like the Keith and the Ridgewood Fiveplex torn apart is just as terrible as the destruction of historic buildings as a whole. Sorry I had to vent. Hope you understand. Still love you guys, and I value the strange relationship we have. Thomas. Oh, Thomas, thank you so much for writing in. And um, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Uh, That was the story we'd heard most often about the State Theater in Pasadena, which, if you missed when I talked about it, uh, was... Uh, a theater which had been running continuously, like never shut down for at all, mm. uh, since I believe the 1920s. Could be wrong about the exact date, but around there, uh, and had survived for about 75 years. And um, eventually, it, it was doing okay, but they couldn't afford to do the earthquake retrofitting, so they just they shut it down. And then it laid empty for a long time, and then it got turned into a Subway sandwich joint. Mm. Not a good one either. Actual Subway. Um, that sucked. Mm. It was also right next to the best newsstand I've ever been to in my life, a place called Bungalow News. 
And Bungalow News is one of those places, and this happens a lot in LA, where they'll shut the store down because, like, oh, we're going to try to sell it to another place and we'll get more money from rent. Yeah. And then it lies unrented for years. Yeah. And I'm like, you could have just let them stay and made money that whole time. And instead, we still have an empty lot where the norms is on Pico Boulevard. Yeah. We had a great diner. It's a series. Well, of, it's a, it, it was a diner. It was. It was. <laughs> it's they served food and you wouldn't die. It was one of the few places in L.A. where you can get a decent ham steak. All right. So mm-hmm. it was it was a it was a good diner. It was affordable. It was popular. And they shut it down because they thought they could get more money renting something else out. Mm-hmm. It has been a vacant lot for years. Yeah, the, and it uh, pisses me off. Uh, and the same thing happened. I think we talked about the Wilshire Theater here in, uh, in Santa Monica, California, where I actually worked very briefly. It was part of the landmark chain. And um, it, it initially was a single screen. At some point in its history, it got split into two screens. But it was a cinema. You went behind the screens. You could see back when it was a stage. It's actually a stage behind the screen. It was pretty awesome. Good old movie house. And the, uh, the the owner decided they could make more money. They kicked the theater out, circumventing a lease somehow. Like, the, yeah. the lease wasn't up. There were three businesses in the building, kicked them all out, and they intended to gut it. But uh, rumor has it that Mark Cuban, who owns Landmark Theaters, he owns uh, the, the parent company that Landmark belongs to, yeah, uh, personally put up the money to have that building declared a local landmark oh. just to fuck with the landlord. Good. And good on him, you know, yeah. because if it's protected as a local landmark, he can't tear it down and turn it into a blue jean store like he wanted to. Yeah. It's like, I can, I can sell jeans and make more money. It's like, well, just leave the theater. People like it. Nope. Doesn't care. Uh, and yeah, it sort of stayed fallow for a long time. He ended up gutting the interior and building it out like a retail space, but then nobody rented the space. Eventually a bicycle shop took over. The bicycle shop went out of business. It's empty again. <laughs> But the facade is still there because the facade is protected uh, by by local landmarks. And maybe he's doing the same thing. Maybe he's waiting it out. He's waiting for the building to fall in such disrepair that he can tear it down. Maybe. Uh, my hope is this asshole will pass it on to somebody else before then. Mm-hmm. Just he'll get too old and won't be interested anymore. I don't know. Like, mm-hmm. we, we all have our connections to these mm-hmm. things. And sometimes there's nothing you can do. And time marches on and something gets put in its place and... That's life, but um, it is a shame that we tear our history down so quickly yeah. uh, in so many metropolitan areas, especially in this country. So um, I'm glad someone else shares my pain. I am sorry to hear about your theater mm-hmm. shutting the, down. The, That's, the key, that yeah, sucks, but uh, yeah. So That's where the ending of Cinema, Par- Cinema Paradiso really got me. It's like, oh, I've experienced that. That's real. Yeah. Right, let's move on to the next uh, letter. Thank here, you for writing in. That was really that was really illuminating. Thank you. Here's a letter from Blake. Hello, Hi, Blake. Blake. Uh, hey, Bibbs and Rockmeister McCool. Uh, greetings from Australia. Greetings. Hello. Uh, I absolutely love the shows you put out each week, and, and we try to put out as many as we can. Yeah. Uh, I recently had my 22nd birthday. Happy, Happy birthday. birthday. On the 14th. Yeah. And only this weekend, I rented out a cinema in my city and invited some friends of mine to witness the cheesy gloriousness of Walter Hill's Streets of Fire. Yes! A film that I saw a while ago and enjoyed, but thanks to an old episode where you two cover, uh, talked about it on The Two Shot, it got me wanting to revisit it. Um, the two shot was a, a podcast we had where we did double features. Yeah, we uh, we had our, our listeners pick a notorious movie, and then we paired up a classic movie to go along with it. Mm. I'm trying to remember what we paired with Streets of Fire. I think I think Streets of Fire might have been the the pairing for something else. That's what I mean. Like what yeah. what what what, what, what went with Streets of Fire? Was yeah. it like like we picked Streets of Fire yeah. to go with whatever. But do you remember what was? Do you remember I, what the other I double don't, feature I was? I don't remember what it was. Dang it! Oh well. Right. Anyway. Um, I did about mid last year. Uh, did, did, uh, I loved it, and I was brought up. Uh, I loved that it was brought up in your musicals Iron List. Uh, I loved it more than I remembered this time. I persist. I persisted during movie nights with mates that we watch Streets of Fire, and they absolutely they absolutely loved it more than I expected them to. They even clapped at the end, which is something that uh, <laughs> has not nor will ever happen again. Safe to say, this small window about six to eight months, I have fallen in love with this film, and it is climbing higher and higher in my favorites list every time I see it. Hmm. After the screening, I saw that Jim Steinman had passed away a few days prior and that the screening instantly felt like a great way to unknowingly pay tribute to the man for the bangers in the film and his whole career in general. Uh, I was also curious to learn if some, in some of my deep dives that this film had a planned trilogy and would have given anything to have seen that happen. It seemed kind of weird to not uh, have a question at the end of this. So I'll just say, what films would you have liked to see get made that ultimately didn't? 
Uh, sorry this was long. I wanted to share this so that you can see the... Uh, See that the recommendations you do share do not go to waste. Thank I also you. loved Danger Diabolic. Yes! <laughs> Keep up the wonderful work you do. Thanks. That's, that'd be a great double feature, Streets mm-hmm. of Fire and Danger Diabolic. Um, if you're unfamiliar with Streets of Fire, if you missed us talking about Streets of Fire, I just want to give you a quick primer on it. Uh, it was a box office bomb, but a really fun one from the 1980s, directed by Walter Hill, who also directed The Warriors and Driver. Um, and it is about uh, a... Rock star played by Diane Lane. Um, and again, this is a young Diane Lane. She's basically playing like a 20 year old. Uh, and uh, she's kidnapped in the middle of her concert by uh, yeah, biker Defoe, hooligans. Yeah. Biker hooligans led by a very, very, very sexy Willem Dafoe. Uh, and uh, Michael Pere, her ex boyfriend, is a mercenary enlisted by Rick Moranis, her agent slash new boyfriend, to rescue her from like the punk rock dystopia. Uh, it's fun. It's super fun. And it's it, really, I got to see it for the first time as a double feature with purple rain. Oh, that was a good day. That's a great day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, yeah. So the songs, not all the songs were by Jim Steinman, but the, the real mm-hmm. bangers were, um, and, uh, it's great. It's mm-hmm. totally over the, over the top. Wonderful. Uh, well, I mean, so you already said Jim Steinman. You don't have to wow. say over the top. And I also, we also didn't get a chance uh, to talk about Jim Steinman, yeah. who, as far as I'm concerned, is he wrote music for me. Okay, <laughs> he wrote really wordy, catchy power ballads, and that's kind of my jam. Yeah, he he wrote uh, a, a lot of Meatloaf stuff. He wrote Total Eclipse mm. of the Heart. If it had a lot of words and a lot of screaming, yeah. it was a Jim Steinman. Yeah, he did. I do. Any, yeah, Meatloaf's Bad Out of Hell one and two. Mm. Uh, he did. Uh, uh, it's all coming back to mm. me now. Uh, Making Love Out of Nothing at All by Air Supply. Uh, these are all just epic mm. songs and his songs tonight is what it means to be young and nowhere fast mm. from streets, streets of fire, fire are as far as I'm concerned, like the apex of his career. They're just mm. fucking huge. <laughs> They're huge songs. Mm. Uh, and I was such a fan and it really bums me out that he's no longer with us. Um, but uh, to answer the question, what movies that didn't get made, that we wish were made. And I assume we're uh, talking about movies that we know were at least theoretically yeah, in the pipeline. Were put in, put into production or pre-production. Yeah, or at least, yeah. Um, yeah, there were a lot of, uh, a lot of films that some, some of which they even like shot footage for, and they just never ended up making the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was reminded uh, recently that Canon, Canon mm-hmm. films, uh, who did, you know, they brought American, they brought ninjas to the American consciousness yeah. in a big way in the early 1980s. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a lot of cheap uh, genre films. Uh, you, There's a really wonderful documentary. I think it's on Netflix called Electric Boogaloo that just details the whole history of canon films. Mm-hmm. And toward the end of their run as a studio, because they ended up going out of business, uh, they started buying up IP. They had like yeah. hot properties. Uh, so they were they, doing like sequels yeah, to they, bigger uh, series of films. They famously were behind mm. Superman four. Yeah, they did Superman yeah. four and the cheap one. Uh, they did Masters of the Universe, uh, mm. which has no acclaim, and uh, yeah, there's a cult for it. A small cult. There's a small cult that likes them. If you see it at ten, of course it has a cult for it. I mean, uh, yeah. oh, fair enough. No, if you're ten, you're mad that they replaced Orko with Gwildor. <laughs> this movie's bullshit. Where's Orko, you fools? Uh. But there was uh, they they had hired uh, Joseph Zito to direct a Spider Man feature yeah. film that would have uh, that would had nothing to do with the character. He turned into a spider monster. Yeah, nothing to do with it, anything. It, if you read about it, oh my god! I, I want to see that. I want to see the canon Spider Man uh, film and and just how cheap and mismanaged and awful it would have been. Yeah, like that that interests me. <laughs> I want to yeah. I want to see this really fascinating failure. Uh, besides that, I know. Um, it's also speaking of superheroes, David Lynch was working on a superhero movie called Ronnie Rocket. That going to seems be this... like a pretty generous description of a superhero. Well, movie. He, that's the way David Lynch described it. He called it, you know, it was about a little guy with a big hairdo who wore an outfit and had mm. powers and, you know, the actual details uh, are a little hazy. Uh, but yeah, he was going to make this film called Ronnie Rocket, which was supposed to be a little bit more like raucous and comedic for David Lynch. Mm. And, um, Wish I could have seen what raucous and comedic looks like to David Lynch in the 1980s mm. uh, when he would have made it. Mm. Uh, 
and there, nothing was ever put into production, but it's a travesty that we never got any more Master and Commander movies. Yeah. Well, speaking of uh, uh, Mas- uh, Russell Crowe, uh, there is a rather legendary or notorious. Oh, is this Gladiator too? There's there was the idea for a Gladiator sequel. Now, Gladiator, of course, big Roman epic, one best picture. I like it. Whitney doesn't. Um, big garbage movie. It's. It, it, I think it's a fun garbage movie, though. Mm-hmm. It's certainly it's certainly one step above camp. It's, it's fun if you like looking at mud. <laughs> Anyway, it's an ugly movie. It's anyway, it's a brown. story about a general who became a slave who became a gladiator who defied an empire and blah 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 blah. Uh, problem with it is uh, there's really not a lot of room for the sequel if you've seen the ending of Gladiator. So how are you gonna do a sequel to Gladiator? Well, Nick Cave of that, Nick, that Nick Cave yeah, yeah. of <laughs> Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds had worked on a screenplay that would have seen Russell Crowe's character resurrected into a Highlander who fights in wars and like, like like throughout history. Yeah. Like apparently he would like be like one of the roaming soldiers who like was there when Jesus died and then like end up fighting in Vietnam and shit. That sounds like a terrible idea. I also really want to see that movie (laughs) really bad. Mm. I really, really want to see that movie. My God. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Uh, there's so many movies that did. There's more movies that didn't get made than did. If we're being frank yeah, here, yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of the. There, I remember that sometimes there's rumors that ended up being complete bullshit. There's this one amazing rumor that had popped up in the early 2000s that uh, Orson Welles in the 1940s uh, had toyed with the idea of making a Batman movie. Where he would have played, where okay. he would have played Bruce Wayne, and maybe mm-hmm. James Cagney would have played the Joker, and that <laughs> that was, can't possibly be true. It was exciting, and there were like some production sketches that emerged, and then not that long ago, it was confirmed that that was bullshit. Yeah, and yeah. Um, I, I'm not sure. I think Mark Millar might have started that. Mark Millar, the guy who was like behind like the stories for like Kick Ass and The Kingsman, oh, like he okay. might have done that one on purpose. But um, anyway, uh, that infuriated me because i was like i wanted that one to be true no 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 the 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 idea that superhero movies were a viable uh like film project didn't really they they couldn't have become viable until the special effects were there to to do the the fantastical stuff it's batman he wears a batman costume yeah that one didn't need special effects but you know you you go to you look at superman that was an enormous and enormously expensive production to to do all that stuff that's superman he flies this is a guy in a bat costume you mute that sucker down it's basically a glorified film noir i mean he besides orson welles wouldn't have done that because he was already the shadow and he had already put he already played a role a lot like that i'm totally with you on this but for a moment let me dream okay Mm. and i'm done now okay (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but those are always fun projects, and there's a million of them out there. And if we had time to maybe prep something, we could do a whole yeah, episode on them. Uh, All right. Uh, but uh, thank you for writing in. Mm. And uh, what's our next question? Uh, here is a uh, letter from Anna. Hello, Anna. Hi, Anna. Uh, hey, guys. Uh, in one of your many podcasts, I remember you talking about Irma Vep in a way that made me really want to watch it. I finally did, thanks to Mubi, and I loved it. Uh, But for the love of God, I can't remember at all which show that was, or even in which context you were talking about it. The Hong Kong actresses, French cinema, movies about movies, ah, and it is really bothering me. Uh, Does anything, any of this ring a bell? Maybe you can just talk about it again. (laughs) Uh, Please save me from going nuts and or re-listening to hours of your wonderful podcasts. I have too huge of a backlog of episodes I haven't listened to yet. Yours, Anna. A P.S. movie for your streaming club? Ooh. We'll get to movie. We should probably do movie. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Movie is like a, a very... Feel like museum feeling uh, kind well, of streaming service. Mo- most streaming services have, I mean, they cycle out the shows and movies that they have available, but they generally pretty much have like a catalog more or less steadily on the mm. service and things don't leave right after they've joined a uh, movie. On- I'm sorry. Movie only has, they curate their stuff. They have mm. these films available at this time. And if you don't watch them that I figure if it's week or month, uh, then you don't get them. Yeah. So it, it keeps you glued to the service, basically. Mm, you you have time, but you don't have an infinite amount of time to watch everything. But much like Criterion, if Mubi is showing it, 
it's probably really good. Yeah. No. M- movie Ovid and Criterion are, are three that are really good about careful curation they want to want to have certain kinds of yeah. things on I, I like movie a lot and if i had a little bit more free time i would i would be subscribing to it no. uh, but it's just a matter of am i gonna get to everything every week maybe not so mm. that's why that one isn't kind of for me but um it's great and i swear to god if i had t- if i had two hours more free time a week i would, <laughs> I would have a movie um but uh what episode do we discuss that it might have been our Iron List, where we talked about movies about movies. If, if movies about movies, <laughs> Mo- they've, movie. made, they've made a bunch of movies about movie. Uh, but here's the deal: I haven't seen Irma Vep, so it was probably you who discussed mm. it. Okay. So why don't you tell people about Irma Vep? Uh, Irma Vep is a film. Uh, it's actually just granted, or it's just about to be granted, a, a Criterion Blu-ray release. Uh, it's a film by Olivier Assayas, uh, who's. Uh, most recently worked with uh, Kristen Stewart. He's a French filmmaker. And um, yeah, he made a film about the making of a remake of an old French serial from the 1910s called Les Vampires. And in uh, this world of the remake, the filmmaker was casting, uh, like went through this big complicated process of what the casting was going to be like. Maggie Chung ended up playing uh the Irma Vep character. Irma Vep is of course an uh an anagram for a vampire. Oh uh, my god, I just yeah. got that. What I had to explain that to you? What? <laughs> Irma Vep. I don't question everything uh, people tell me, okay? It's, it's it's a weird title and it looks like vampire. And they explain that in, in Irma Irma Vep and Le Vampire. I've also seen Le Vampire, which was a, a serial. So I saw that too. Yeah. I've never seen Irma Vep, but I have seen Le Vampire. Okay. It's really good. Yeah, it, it is it is quite good. It's good uh, scary kind of detective feeling noir noir horror thing it's really really wonderful yeah it's not explicitly uh, horror but it's like horror themed noir yeah yeah, yeah. um yeah and uh, but irma vep is about sort of the tenuous grasp uh, that a lot of these people have on film production how it's going to feel like gonna fall apart on at any minute and how the director might be going insane during all of this and how that's like just sort of rippling out through the rest of the cast. How does uh, that compare to CQ? I remember liking CQ. Uh, well, Roman C- Coppola. CQ is just a fetish film. It, it's well, just, yeah. it's, it's Roman Coppola's lo- looking a lot of like old uh, Barbarella, Danger Diabolic era kind of spy movies and thinking, wow, that was a keen time and just sort of hangs out there for a little bit. And the actual That's story fair. is completely irrelevant. You're not wrong. I just, I, yeah. I did find it kind of fun, but mm. all right. No, I mean, it's, it's fun and it's, yeah, if you, yeah. if you, movies don't have to have like a story or a place or character or a story or characters it can just have a place. It can have mm-hmm. a place that you just sort of like hanging out in, mm-hmm. um, uh, projected a lot of movies like that. You just, you, you hang out, you just want to watch it. Yeah, I, 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 I totally hear people, agree. I hear people talk about, um, the, the Lord of the Rings movies curiously in this way where they, they don't necessarily want to go back and experience the same emotions. They just want to spend time in Middle Earth. Well, yeah, because they're, uh, they're built like travel logs, you know, mm-hmm. like, and they'll, the movies pause to like say, oh, let's look at the minds. There's even like a whole bit like, listen, we're trying to sneak through the mines of Moria. Mm-hmm. We do not want to get caught here. This place is teeming with goblins and trolls. And there's a fucking Balrog here. You do not want to fuck with. But this, this cavern's really pretty. So let me just take a quick look at this one. Man. Look at this shit, am I right? <laughs> like, the whole point mm. is to feel immersed mm. in this incredible world. And they do a good job of that. But I, I really recommend Derma Vep. And I think the ending is really brilliant. Mm. About uh, what we actually, the film ends with the uh, the footage that the fictional filmmaker shot. We get to see what the, the film what made Don't what it looked it. like. And I, yeah, I won't tell you what it looked like. But yeah. that that's the, the end of the movie. And it's... It, it's really like striking and insane and it's great. Hmm. Um, so that's me talking about Irma Vap. All right. Uh, yeah. Like, and, and like I said, it's coming out on Criterion yeah. or I either just did or is about to come out on Criterion. Yeah, if I were, if I were to venture a guess, I would say we probably mentioned it on our best movies about movies episode of the iron list, but mm. you know, us, we'll bring up random stuff all the time. It's really difficult for us to keep track of that, especially considering how many podcasts we do. <laughs> um, it might have been one of the episodes where we talked about silent movies. Um, hard to say. Mm. Uh, anyway, uh, but thank you for writing in. Yeah, what's, what's your next one? Uh, here's a letter from uh, Fabio. Hello, Fabio. Uh, hey, Hi. guys. Uh, Fabio here. Uh, finally put together a, a list of Brazilian films. Oh, we have a couple of Brazilian yeah. listeners who write in, and we've been having some back and forth about Brazilian cinema 
Uh, but Fabio says, I finally put together the list of Brazilian films that I think you would like. And I tried to let out the ones you should already have watched, like City of God, Central Station, or the Elite Squad movies. I've only right. seen one of the Elite Squad movies. Yeah. Uh, but first a question. I noticed an overlap with the red letter media stuff in the bad and weird part of the United States media appreciation. Are those guys people you would want to do a podcast with? Would you, would you want to hang out with the red, red letter media guys? I guess, yeah. Yeah, if if they, I mean, those guys are like hugely successful. They, yeah, they're like superstars. Yeah, they just yeah. they just hang around and watch like B movie crap, and yeah. they've made a living at it. And a good living yeah, too. Kind of, kind of, no. kind of jealous of their ability to do that. I don't like everything they've ever done, mm-hmm. uh, and I don't necessarily agree with everything they've ever like published, but. Uh, yeah, I mm-hmm. admired the hell out of their hustle and I got, <laughs> I near as I can tell, I got mm-hmm. nothing against them. So yeah, yeah I'd um, love to work with them if that ever came up. Yeah. They're like almost exactly my age and mm-hmm. they grew up like watching almost exactly the same movies I did. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we're on the same wavelength when it comes to their attitudes about movies. Right. Uh, and Okay, Space Cop is a bad movie. <laughs> yeah, they, Space Cop is they, nice. They, they Space made Cop Space Cop, and sp- like I, I, I really admire Space Cop, and there's a lot that make me chortle. But I think they'd agree with me that Space Cop was like something they worked really, really hard at, and turned out okay. I think Space Cop is the moment where I realized that getting Patton Oswalt in your movie isn't hard. <laughs> he'll just show up. He'll just, he'll just be there if you ask, and if he's mm. free that afternoon, he will do your movie. Mm. Uh, Pat and Oswalt showed up on one of their uh, bad movie night uh, shows, Best yeah. of the Worst, where they just watch bad movies and discuss them. Right. And uh, at one point, like after he had watched the three movies, he turned to the camera and he said, look, if there are any other slumming celebrities out there who want to show up on Red Letter Media and talk about bad movies, don't. This is miserable. We're watching these terrible movies. I hate them all. <laughs> this is awful, awful. Where do they find these awful movies? Uh, sure, I'd love to hang out with Red Letter Media and discuss things with them uh, in any capacity. But I'd really like to hang out with Pat and Oswald. <laughs> Please. You know, we'll, we'll hit uh, what my wife calls the Patton singularity yeah. at some point, where something uh, like hits just the right amount of popularity that Pat and Oswald will just show up. Mm-hmm. He'll just manifest in, in any project. My, I think my dream podcast is like just I want to get Pat and Oswald, John Mulaney, and Gary Goldman like together. In like in like just a room, mm. and I'll just make them riff. Like <laughs> you're not, out, you can't yeah. you can't leave the room after until you riff for at least one hour on ca- on on microphone. Sorry, those are the rules. I don't make them up. Okay, I do make them. You up. just made them up. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, onto the list. Thank uh, you. Yeah, Fab, uh, Fabio gives us these film uh, these films as recommendations of examples of fine Brazilian cinema. Uh, Brainstorm, two thousand. The true story of the guy played by Rodrigo Santero. San- Santoro, who played Xerxes in the film 300, who was sent into a mental institution by his own father. Uh, okay. Carandiro, 2003, another true story. This is the, li- the life of the biggest prison in Brazil through the eyes of Dr. Drauzio Varela, again, with Xerxes in it. Oh, uh, Drained, 2006. This is a favorite of mine. A pawn shop owner goes nuts with a glass eye based on a book by a comic book creator, Lorenzo Mutarelli, who plays the bodyguard. Uh, the year my parents went on vacation, 2006, a boy is left with his grandparents during the 1970s World Cup. A great look at the dictatorship period of Brazil. Okay. Uh, Basic Sanitation, the movie, in 2007. That's an interesting uh, title. Yeah, that's a good title. A group tries to get a drainage ditch built in the city, but does not have money for public sanitation. But there is money for a movie, so they decide to make a cheap monster movie to build the ditch. Okay, that's That's a, a cute idea. idea. That's a yeah. great idea. I love that idea. <laughs> Uh, the Man Who Copied, 2003, a love story between a photocopier photocopier operator and his neighbor with some money forgery in the middle. Ooh, they get to copy money. Uh, four Days in September, 1997. I remember this, this one. one I know, yeah, right, yeah. Um, this is about the kidnapping of the U.S. ambassador to leverage uh, the release of a few political prisoners of the military regime. Another true story. Uh, Durval Records, 2002. A guy lives with his mother and owns a record, a vinyl record store. Um, one day, the mother hires a woman to help in the house. When this woman vanishes and leaves behind a five-year-old child, things get weird. Yeah. Uh, the Man of the Year, 2003. Not the Robin Williams one. A man dyes his hair on a bet, gets mocked in a bar, and in anger, kills the guy. What he doesn't know is that the guy is a hitman and now he has a new profession. <laughs> That's a fun idea. I like that, that is a fun idea. That's good. Uh, the Trespasser, 2001. Two businessmen hire a hitman to kill their third partner and get blackmailed. 
Uh, cool. Estomago, a gastronomic story, 2007. This is a really weird one. I'll just say it's the story of a man who loves to cook. Estomago. Mm. Means stomach. I get it. All right. Uh, I really like the, these movies, and as a 30-year-old uh, who, who also worked in a video store like you, those are my recommendations. I hope this finds you and your family as well. hope we're all using masks and washing our hands, and uh, insert soap plug here. Soap. <laughs> Salt uh, cat soap over on you, Etsy. Have you played that angle yet? We all need to keep our hands clean. Yeah, we played that. Okay. We're trying to overplay that angle because it seems a little, you know... Temporary. Well, no, well, hopefully temporary, mm -hmm. but also I just don't want it to seem like, you know, we're just like trying to capitalize off yeah. of it too much, but it's true. We, we all understand more than ever lately, the importance of constant hand-washing, mm. even constant, but like, you know, frequent hand-washing. So yeah, soap is, soap's not going to go out of fashion. We're always going to need soap. Uh, anyway, uh, I again want to thank you. Uh, thank you. Uh, you for it? the help and the voices you bring into my life, I've been oh. unemployed for over a year and wow. this plague has already taken my father-in-law. Oh You've given me some good time out of the life of madness. I owe you some piece of art. Love, Fabio. Fabio, thank you mm. so much. Um, if, if For people who might not have been following along for very long, um, Whitney and I, you know, we try to be knowledgeable about cinema from all over the world, but we don't know everything equally, and we both profess that we really mm. don't know a lot about cinema from Brazil. And... Uh, we just had a list of highly mm. recommended films from Brazil. Some of these films I've heard of, and I've, they've come highly recommended to me before. Some of them I've never heard of before, and I'm really excited about them, and I hope I can make the time to check them out really soon. Um, thank you for writing in. I'm sorry this last year has been so hard on you. It's been so hard on so yeah. many of us. and um, it's. I don't think it's a lot of consolation to say that we're not alone, but at the very least, we're not going to be lonely mm. in it and how miserable yeah. this last year has been. Um so hang in there. We're we're there's light at the end of the at the end of this tunnel. Um, I just got my second vaccine, hey. uh, so that's exciting. Yeah, uh, and, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm still on my first. I got a okay. got a second Pfizer coming my way. Awesome. So um, don't forget, for, don't fall into this weird trap some people are doing where you're not getting your second vaccine. It mm. you need both vaccines. <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't work unless you get both. Yeah, there's like one where you only need one shot, but the mm. rest of them you need two. Get them both. That's how it works. You, the side effect, the side effects weren't that bad. I know some yeah. people have had like lousy side effects. I was really drowsy for like thirty six hours, yeah. and like had like more pain in my arm than I would normally have liked. But that's basically it. It's it was a, a crummy weekend, but it was totally worth it, yeah. and it's fine now. So mm -hmm. please get your vaccines, and make sure you get all your vaccines that are that are required. Please, yeah. please. Um, but thank you again. And the, the, we always appreciate recommendations. We we recommend movies to people, and we we appreciate the recommendations in return. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, next letter, please. Here's a letter from Sam. Hi, Sam. Uh, Sam says, "Dear Bibbs and Rockmeister McEil, really weird spelling of it. Um, nice. I couldn't think of anyone I'd rather ask this question to. I am terrified of crabs. The crustacean, not the disease, though I am averse to both. Yeah." And I've been trying to find out if there's a horror movie that taps into this in the vein of uh, 1976's Squirm, which is about killer worms. Oh, it's like a bunch yeah. of like a whole bunch of killer crabs. Yeah. Um, okay. I found many that focus on a single giant crab, mm. but none about an enormous ungodly swarm of them. Are you aware of any such film? If not specifically crabs, any army of creepy crawlers will do. But the closer they are to crabs, the better. <laughs> Keep up the great work. Sam the Crab Foe. Uh, well, thank you for the question, Sam. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that's, that is highly um, specific. And I can't it's... think of one that I can think of a lot of little things. Like I think in, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean three, mm. there's this bit where there's like all of these weird psychedelic crabs that are crawling all over Johnny Depp. Okay. But that's like one scene in the movie. Yeah, there, there's a, uh, that scene in the, is it the abyss where they find, um, the, the dead submarine crew and they find the dead body and one of them has like a crab crawling in its mouth. I think that's the abyss. I think that's the abyss. Yeah. Um, also, also Leviathan is very similar and okay. it's got more of a creep. Oh, well there's also deep start six, which is very explicitly <laughs> a crab monster. Yeah. But that's also a really big crab, not a tiny yeah. crab. Uh, and yeah, I can list numerous films with a giant crab. I love and monsters. That's uh, a really good uh, movie. Godzilla versus the sea monster. AKA uh, Ibira horror of the deep. Um, there's a lot of movies about like killer, like crunchy bugs. 
Yeah, well, um, I'm well, thinking hold, of like. Hold on, oh, sorry, you still working. Uh, no, I actually have a crab one. Oh, good. What you got? Uh, Werner Herzog made a film called Invincible, uh, which was a World War II film uh, about a Jewish strongman who was enlisted by the Nazis to perform in a sideshow to promote the Aryan cause, and they would dress him up as an Aryan and have him like lift weights. Okay. Uh, and eventually, uh, he. And he wasn't he wasn't entirely bright, but eventually said, I, I can't do this anymore. I'm a Jewish strongman. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was just through, and, he, it, and it's a true story. It's about this actual strongman. And Tim Roth is in it as a, hip, as a hypnotist. But there are a few dream sequences where we get to see like a long shot of a train track and a train starts heading toward the camera. And the entire foreground is just littered with crabs, mm. like actual crust, like real live crustaceans that they covered the set with. That's cool. So there are though That's the only film I can think of off the top of my head that has like a swarm of crabs in it. I think that's from 2000 or 2001. That movie. Yeah, that sounds about right. I, I really it's so weird because if you think about it, like if you imagine in your head, mm-hmm. well, we've all seen crabs and we seem like they're big crabs, little crabs. But, like, if you can imagine, like, a giant swarm of them. Like, they're not inherently threatening. Like, they got claws, but, you know, they're not, like, razor sharp. And they don't, like, bring them down with, like, 50 pounds of pressure or anything like that. They're they're, they're not that dangerous a creature. But if it's a horror movie, they can you can do whatever you want with them. You can irradiate them. Mm-hmm. You can give them, like, extra sharp pincers or whatever. Um, have them sing, like, in Moana. Yeah, you have them sing, like, in Moana. That's That's true. There's uh, a giant crab in them. I never said there wasn't. Right. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, mostly what I can think of are movies about uh, insects with exoskeletons. And that's kind of the closest I can imagine. Yeah. Like movies like Mimic, which I maintain Guillermo del Toro's director's cut of Mimic is actually a really good movie with just kind of a bit of a down- disappointing ending. Okay. Like the ending's just a little too Hollywood. It doesn't really fit the film, but like the majority of that director's cut is a really, really good horror movie about killer cockroaches. Um, the end, I don't remember what's the ending, but it's one of the last uh, sections in Creepshow about a guy who's trapped in an apartment and it's starting to fill with cockroaches. That, 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 uh, that I, I can't, I can't even sound. watch that. I, I have a bit of, uh, I've been pushing through it really hard, but I used to have a, a really just a crippling phobia of, of cockroaches and beetles and like certain kinds yeah. of bugs. So yeah, I, I I still have trouble watching that. Um, was it, what was Scorpions? I remember there's like a Scorpion movie. Remember Scorpions? I mean, um, there's the there's a giant yeah. scorpion from Don't Tell Not Don't Tell Mom Babysitter's Dead. Um, Honey, I Drank the Kids. Yeah, there's uh, yeah. a scene where a guy gets skeletonized by scarabs in the 1999 Mummy movie. Oh, there you go. That's a good um, one. A guy gets eaten alive by ants in uh, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Oh yeah, really gross. Um, uh, there's the killer ant movie Phase Four, which is trippy. It's <laughs> Phase Four is is quite wonderful. Phase Four is a I don't, I don't know if I call it a hoot or not, but it is weird, and you should mm. see it to believe that shit because that is an art. Imagine if like A twenty four made a horror movie about killer ants on a budget <laughs> like, like just imagine on that just, yeah like imagine that shit like that's 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 a that's a tough sell, but by God, is it something? Is it something? Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. Like it, it's always weird when you realize that there's like some untapped horror potential because mm. it feels like we've done everything by now, right? And maybe there is a movie with a whole bunch of killer crabs, but I can't think of one. If anyone can think of a movie with a swarm of killer crabs, like the movie Piranha, where there's a whole bunch of piranha or. Mm. Uh, whatever. If you can imagine that, if that's a real thing, please let us know because I want to know too. I want to see that movie. That movie sounds cool. <laughs> yeah. Um. There was uh, a radio program back in the 1940s called Escape! Exclamation point, and uh, it was all about escapes. Mm. Uh, there's a there's a flood coming. There's something there's something coming, and you have to escape it. And that, yeah. that was the premise of every episode. Every they they just took the premise of like an escape episode of a TV series and just turned it into an entire show. Mm. And in Escape, there were multiple episodes about a wave of animals. Uh, and one of the best yeah. radio programs ever made was called Three Skeleton Key, uh, episode of Escape. It starred 
Vincent Price and a couple of other other actors as lighthouse operators and how they saw a ship coming uh, sailing at night and it crashed into the reef and there were no people on the ship because they had all been eaten by the thousands upon thousands of rats that somehow got onto this ship and they they flood off the ship and they coat the entire exterior of the lighthouse and they like they're looking out of the glass, and there's all these like rat bodies constantly squirming around. Oh my god! And that they st- amazing. And they all start going really insane because all they hear is like the scratching of the rats. And there's this really uh, provocative scene where somebody's like really going crazy with a yeah. wrench, and they're tapping the wrench oh. harder and harder against the glass, taunting the rats. Oh, like, oh that's god. terrifying! Yeah, I want to. Uh, I want to see that movie. There's an, an episode of Escape with ants, or just you know trillions of ants kind of skeletonized people there was an episode of macgyver about ants oh yeah like first season of macgyver if you look there's an episode where macgyver is like sent to like i know the amazon or something Mm. and there's like a farm that is in the path of this wave of like killer fire ants and there's like billions of them (laughs) and macgyver's got to find a way to protect people from like this giant wave of killer ants Mm. that was fun yeah, yeah. so surely if you but if you were to look through the uh, the annals of the, the radio series Escape, maybe there's crabs in there. Maybe. Who can say? They, they escaped all kinds of stuff in that show. They so. gotta, gotta escape from something. We've already tried all the yeah. obvious stuff. Next time, escape from shoes. <laughs> or just one giant shoe. Oh, we'll save that for next time. Come next week and listen to the tongue that licked Tucson. Uh, thank you mm. for the challenge. I'm sorry we couldn't just go like, oh, of course, mm. Killer Crabs. 1979, directed by Joe Dante under an assumed name. Like, no, we don't have that. But um, hopefully someone else does. So if you can think of a movie with, again, swarms of killer crabs. Not a giant crab. Swarms of killer crabs. Please let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Here's a letter from Justin. Hello, Justin. Hi, Uh, Justin. Dear WB and RMCC. RMCC. Uh, recently a friend was musing how he couldn't just Google one word movie titles that end with a question mark. I found a questionably accurate site that had a list of movies in a format that I could uh, use developer mode in the web browser and wrote some JavaScript. And now I have a list of movies that I've never heard of. That is single word titles with question marks at the end. Nice. Guilty. 1930. Kion. 2003. Nia. 1979. I like this one. R.I.P. 2017. Like, oh, you'll, you'll rest. But will it be in P? R.I.P. Uh, all one word. Uh, you want me to kill him? Question mark. Uh, here's one just called. What? Nice. What do you want to see? What? <laughs> and uh, no, what do you want to see? What? What do you want to see? <laughs> what is what I want to see? What? What, honey? Uh-huh. Who is the band on stage? Um, are there any off the top of your head that I'm missing? <laughs> uh, any of these worth watching? I have made this piece of knowledge and now I don't know what to do with it. So, signed, Justin. Um, I, <sighs> those kinds of lists of things are something no one cares about until it's literally the only thing you're looking for. Yeah. 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 And I've had to do this before. Like, you know, we, we write a lot of lists of things and like we're, we like to study films, and one of the great ways to study like films that are like comparable is to find films with like similar tropes. Mm. Um, and then you can—it's not so much like oh, it's films about gangsters, fine. But like, are we looking for like films about gangsters in which they cook? Because that's actually a pretty common trope, and you see that in films like Goodfellas and Donnie Brasco and the original The Godfather, and like so having films with like particular title conventions, like all on a list like that can be really useful for the handful of people who need that. Mm. Uh, so thank you for your service. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. That's, that's incredibly yeah. gratifying. Um, thank you. I can't think of too many films that are just a single word question mark titles though. Mm. I can think of like whatever happened to baby Jane or right. where, where's Papa or who's Harry Crumb uh what about bob that kind of yeah. stuff but uh yeah anything that's just like one question yeah i want to just go with like an onomatopoeia like uh? <laughs> <laughs> hey what do you want to go see tonight do you want to go mm. see uh thor loving monster loving whatever it is yeah. what do you want to see uh? <laughs> <laughs> the next thor movie should just be called thor yeah you uh? thor yeah Here's uh, my favorite Cards Against Humanity card. 
is just dot 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 bees. <laughs> I assume it's a reference to something. I don't know what it is, but I always like that you had to think about it, and then you're just like, bees? I don't know, bees. I think about bees like at least once a day. Yeah, uh, there's a Cards Against Humanity card that just says wheat, and that one always makes me giggle. <laughs> it's like the most mundane thing. Yeah. Uh, another one, or are we? Yeah, are we gotta we... do okay. one more. One more. I'm, I'm, um, I'm starting to conk out a little bit, so we'll have right, time for um, one more. Here's a letter from Lord Laxton of Haugen Manor. I think we've Ooh, heard from Lord Laxton fancy. in the past. Uh, greetings, duo of extraordinary gentlemen. Uh, let me begin by saying yee. I was, that was the sound of me squealing like a little girl when you read my letter on your most recent podcast. Oh, here you get another one. Uh, okay, maybe that's a slight exaggeration, but I was pleased. Uh, as for the topic of this letter, uh, much to the discu- much of the discussion about Chadwick Boseman's Oscar nomination included in the fact that it was his last performance. Mm. While his untimely passing is undeniably a tragedy, do we place too much importance on something after a person's la- as a person's last work? Uh, for example, I think Family Plot is a perfectly fine movie that receives harsher criticism than it deserves simply because it is Hitchcock's final film. I would love to hear your thoughts on how being an artist's final project affects the public's perception of the work. Best wishes, Lord Laxton. Uh, that's a great question, and it's something that sadly we do have to talk about sometimes uh, because everyone's everyone who makes movies has a, has a last movie. Mm. Um, and usually they don't get to plan it out. You know, they don't consider, like, this is the last movie I'm going to make. Some people retire uh, and, like, want to end on a certain note. Some people, you know, they pass away unexpectedly or when they would really rather not. Um, And um, it's rare, actually, to see, especially an actor, for an actor to go out on one of their best films. Mm. Or at least one of their best performances. It's really rare. Uh, just because they work a lot, they don't have a lot of control over the finished product. Yeah. Uh, and so many of the best actors who ever lived, their final film is sort of, you know, it's it's what they worked on that day. Um, we came really close actually to having Marlon Brando's last movie being, I think, Scary Movie three. Mm-hmm. Like he was gonna film this like Exorcist gag where he was gonna be the Exorcist, but then like. He had he really had to go to the bathroom. It became a big bathroom gag, and then he, they he, he I think he passed away or like he was setting sick or something, and they got like James Woods to do it. I think. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah weird. Um, but regarding the significance on someone's last performance or their last film, um, I think it depends on the project. I think sometimes we mm. just acknowledge that. Like they died. Their last movie was a straight-to-video thing, and it's you know well, it's of note, but like it's not necessarily if, um, a big deal. But if it is a legitimately good performance, it we we do tend to go. Yeah. Isn't that nice? They went out. They went out on a really good one. Yeah, the the, the context always matters, and yeah. um and it is going to color what we see. Um, Furious Seven is like the prime example of this. Yeah. Uh, Paul Walker died during production of that movie, and they everybody knew that. It's a beloved actor. Uh, yeah. from, from what I understand, one of those relentlessly decent human beings that everybody loves. Everybody liked Paul Ev- Walker. Just everybody liked Paul Walker. He was just a nice guy. Uh, he was a, a huge crush object of everyone because he's mm-hmm. a gorgeous man. Yeah. And uh, was a beloved character in this long-running, very popular series of movies. And if he's going to die during production... You can't just sort of skim over that. No, you can't just finish the movie and let it go. You want to do something big. So they had to shoot around a lot of his scenes. They got a stunt double for some of the action. But then they did this sort of send-off at the end of the movie where they, they... he says, okay, I'm, I'm exiting this series now. Yeah. And they used some old footage and they cut it with new footage to make it look like he yeah. sort of drove off. And it's a weird and bit the, too, because if you think about it, like if you think about it in context of Paul Walker just died yeah. and we're all saying goodbye to Paul Walker, it's incredibly sweet and touching. Mm-hmm. If you look at it in the context of the film, all that character is doing is retiring to a tropical island with his family happily. Mm-hmm. And they treat it like it's the saddest thing in the world. And meanwhile, another character that was like one of their best friends died earlier in the film and we moved past it pretty quick. Like, it's weird. And it's this odd meta example where like the real life story took over the film, regardless yeah. of whether it made internal logic in the movie. It's a fascinating movie. It's a fascinating decision that they mm-hmm. made. I think, and I think it was the right one. Uh, you I know, buy because, it. Cause everybody, I'm always a little distracted by it, but I, it is good. Everybody had that yeah. context. And I think even, you know, if, if we were, we're watching that movie in 30, 40, 50 years, mm-hmm. we'll still have that context baked into the movie. Probably. Um, 
And and sometimes that can color a film for the negative. Uh, did you ever see Wicked Stepmother? I tried. It was Betty Davis last yeah. movie. It is abysmal. It's unwatchable. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. Betty Davis died during production, so they decided to, like, enter this uh, stipulation at the last minute that her character was a shapeshifter, so they recast her with a different actor. And uh-huh. they, turned, they turned her into a smoking cat. Uh, and, yeah, it was Well, that's totally, what happened uh, with, the, with the actor who played the Oracle in the Matrix mm-hmm. movies when they were making the sequels. Mm-hmm. She died, and they had to replace her, but they didn't want to, like, completely recast her and... They they came up with this kind of reason why the Matrix would make her look different, but um, I couldn't tell you what it was if you put a gun to my head. Like it's just uh, yeah, I don't remember. They the, did the best they could. Th- those sequels, it's just nothing but yeah. exposition. Uh, well, and, and Carrie Fisher is another example here, where hmm. like her last film was The Last Jedi, and some people love that movie, some people don't love that movie, but they had planned for like the third film in that trilogy to be really Leia centric and to have it clearly like be her training Ray and mm. make it more about Leia's legacy, but they had almost no footage with her. Yeah. So the whole, so her actual last movie where they incorporated some footage, it's really awkward. And you can tell that they're straining to incorporate the little footage they had mm. and try to make it seem like she's, in the scene and part of the plot, but they're writing the scene around what she happened to say. Yeah. It doesn't quite work. Unfortunately, I, I don't envy them. Like that's mm. a bad situation. Like, I don't know what I would do yeah, differently, but, but like, yeah, it's rough. I, I think that context positive or negative does color a film. Uh, you yeah. know, we're watching uh, Ma Rainey's black bottom and, yeah we're just appreciating what a great actor Chadwick Boseman was. Yeah. And, uh, and what he was a great performance he's giving in that movie. And that is, a, that is an example where I honestly think, would he have been the front runner for best actor? Maybe not. Mm. Ultimately he wasn't, he, he lost the Academy Award, but like, I think he probably would have been nominated. I think he's legitimately like magnetic in that movie. I mm. think he's really, really great in that film. And he was one of those actors who I think everyone was just like, he's going to get an Oscar eventually. Yeah, that's why we're not going to nominate him yet. And like, part of me is like, well, you done fucked up, didn't you? You should have nominated him a couple more times. Maybe he would have won it by now, because he, I think, he deserved it for Get On Up. Personally, I think it's an amazing motion picture performance. Yeah, it's a great performance. Yeah, he's really good. The movie is a solid three stars, but I think he has a four star performance in it. He's a great Jackie Robinson in Forty Two. Yeah, like he's really good in that fucking but, movie. Like, it's a great movie. It's a, yeah. it's a it's a it's a good movie with a great performance in it. It's it's a really kind of slick uh, yeah. Hollywood biopic in yeah. in every sense of that word. But, but yeah, he's, he's really good it. in that. He's yeah. he's perfection in that film. Um, so that's and that's a sort of situation where, and again, we saw at the Academy Awards it got built up, mm. didn't pan out for them, uh, and it's a shame. I really do think it's a shame that that performance didn't get recognized mm-hmm. but uh you know i don't vote it's not it's not up to me um family plot you brought up family plots interesting example a lot of people hold family plot up to this weird high standard because it was mm-hmm. hitchcock's final film family plot fucking kills <laughs> that movie is great that that movie came out today mm-hmm. and was directed by and people just said it was directed by the cohen brothers it would be nominated for academy awards yeah. it's really clever it's really fun it's very energetic um, it it has that incredible like exuberance you see from a really talented filmmaker's first film, mm. where they're trying to get everything they can into one motion picture. Yeah, Family Pot rules, and it bums me out that people don't talk about it more. And that when they do, they think of it as lesser Hitchcock. Maybe it's not upper echelon Hitchcock, but that's a high bar. It's mm. definitely at least B tier. Like it's really good. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anyone else. Like well, uh, Kubrick went out on Eyes Wide Shut. The movie mm. wasn't quite complete, but it feels complete. Uh, from what yeah. I understand, like he he had turned in the cut he wanted, and um, but Kubrick was a notorious tinkerer, yeah, though, so it's hard he, to he say. He probably would have, but he did turn in a final cut. Yeah. Is is the point? Yeah. Uh, pro- maybe he would have like reworked it a little bit, but he at least put in like he actually finished Kub- a version of the Kubrick movie. re-edited The Shining after it was in theaters. Like he wanted to come back and like, yeah, he changed the ending. Sh- yeah. He changed the ending of The Shining. Stuff. You, if you, unless you saw it like the first couple of weeks when it was in theaters, you've never seen the original ending of The Shining. They've never released it. Mm. Pissing me off. I always wanted to see that. Like I don't, I've heard it's not as good, but I still want to see it. Mm. Um, I remember when uh, uh, Sean Connery made uh, The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yeah. And how uh, after that, he just sort of stopped acting. He kind of retired after that. Yeah, he did like one little bit of voiceover. I think it was like a short film or something. Yeah, maybe so. But, but like, yeah, yeah. Th- that was the last film he appeared in. And for many, many years after that, uh, you know, his his fans said, you need to come out of retirement. You need to do uh, like a, a 
one last classy picture just so you don't go out on League of Extraordinary yeah. Gentlemen, which is quite a bad movie. Yeah. Uh, wouldn't you know what that was his last film? He didn't come back and do something else after that. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I suspect the same is going to be true with Gene Hackman. Gene Hackman's is in, in his 90s now. He's not going to come mm-hmm. back and do something. I'd be very surprised. Uh, but uh, his last film uh, in which he appeared on screen was Welcome to Mooseport, a little scene comedy film with Ray Romano. I still never even seen and it. I've been, yeah, yeah, I haven't seen it. That's that's probably going to be his last movie. Yeah. So uh, we can appreciate that as a, as his last movie while he's still alive, because I'm mm. fairly certain he's not going to come out of retirement at age 91 or however old he is to make another movie. Yeah. I remember what mm. Robin Williams went out on. He had a couple of um, like little mm. roles, A Night of the Museum, Secret of the Tomb. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Absolutely anything. Apparently mm. is a thing he did with Terry Jones. I think his last starring role was this movie, The Angriest Man in Brooklyn. Oh, the Phil Allen Robinson film. Yeah, which I think is a little underrated. It's about a guy who mm. finds out uh, he's uh, he's got ninety minutes to live, uh, and uh, so he tries to make the most of those ninety minutes. And as you can imagine, that's a very fraught experience. And I think he does a really good job with that. Actually, it's not a great movie, but he's really good in that. Uh, it, it's yeah, I, th- I think it's better than I got credit for. Actually, yeah, I think it's movie. it's definitely not um, Alden Robinson's best, but like it's it's a good yeah. role. Uh, but sometimes uh, an actor will make a film; it will be released posthumously, and it's like such a tiny, unimpressive movie that nobody really cares. Mm. Uh, and most recently, that happened with Peter Fonda. Mm. Uh, I saw a film he made a- that was released after his- after his death called The Last Full Measure, and it has this really impressive cast. It, it not only had. Uh, Peter Fonda. It also had uh, you know Samuel L. Jackson and Christopher Plummer and William Hurt and Ed Harris and uh, and it's about a lawyer who is trying to get a posthumous medal for somebody who already has a bunch of medals. Yeah, so he just wants one last medal for something he did back when he was a soldier, uh, when he was alive. And he talks to all his old war buddies and he, and he goes around to see Peter Fonda and Peter Fonda has a few pretty intense scenes where he plays a soldier with PTSD. It's such a simpering, pathetic movie. Mm. Just overall, it's such a, a bad, pointless film. And the lead actor, who is um, the Winter Soldier, um, Sebastian, Sebastian Stan, Stan yeah. uh, gives such a nothing performance that the film barely even registers. And because of that, it doesn't really matter that this is the last time we'll ever see Peter Fonda on screen. Yeah. It just it's swallowed up by the bad quality. Well, it's like there's there's a couple of things mm. like we we both like are really into movie trivia and mm. we like to play the movie trivia showdown and I feel like there's three different kinds of movie trivia. There's uh, movie trivia. There's stuff that happens in the story, you know, the in universe trivia. Like what's the plot mm. of the movie? What is what city does it take place in? What happens in the plot? Uh, then there's the the trivia that's in the DNA of it. Mm. Who made it? You know, like who wrote it, who directed it, who starred in it. And then there's the stuff that is not the movie's fault. That really is kind of incidental. Mm. How much money it made, what weekend it came out, what year it came out most of the time. It was largely incidental. It just happens to be when it was made. Um, and uh, that sort of thing. Like, and this was this person's final performance. They probably didn't know. Mm. In the case of Chadwick Boseman, he apparently he knew he was dying. And that's... Yeah incredible what he accomplished you know knowing that how much time he had left and and you know it's, it's really it's 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 it, humbling to think it, about all he did it's none of our business but it, you know that he chose to hide all of that and yeah. that he was able that he kept it secret for the way he did yeah. was was also part of the story i mean god what an actor mm, yeah right like he kept all that from us and like he was con- he was he he knew he had cancer when he was making black panther apparently mm. and like he's just He's a hero, isn't he? Um, so I find like that kind of trivia interesting, but I also don't find it nearly as relevant to a lot of things uh, other than just sort of like interesting footnote. Mm-hmm. Or like, uh, oh, this is this person's first movie. Neat. That's it. That's all I got. Um, so, yeah. Do we make too big a deal of it? Sometimes. Sometimes it's a big deal for reasons that have nothing to do with anything just because of the nature of how they died. Um, Obviously we're going to make a big deal out of like, for example, Brandon Lee's final film because he died literally making it. uh, And when he was killed on set, making the crow Mm. Um, that's going to have a lot more impact than say Peter Fonda just happened to make this film before he died. Yeah. Um, But uh, yeah, we shouldn't expect people's last film to hold up to some kind of intense scrutiny because again, just happens to be what they did last. 
but we do always have that context attached to it. True. No, very, very true. Mm-hmm. And it's hard. It's hard to remove. It's hard mm-hmm. to not think of it as somewhat significant. And, but it's also important to remember that sometimes when someone's last movie is just okay mm-hmm. or, or bad, doesn't mean anything. Yeah. It just, that was, that's, they had done, they had that much control over it. Didn't they? Anyway, that is it for We've Got Mail this week. Thank you, everybody, for writing in. If you want to write into a future episode of We've Got Mail, the email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Uh, if you also want to chime in and speak to us in other ways, you're more than welcome to follow us on Twitter at Critic Acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. Uh, if you want a whole bunch of exclusive shows and the ability to vote for future episodes of things, uh, head on over to patreon.com slash network. That is our Patreon. Uh, A very, very special thank you to all of our patrons, without whom this show and all of our other shows would not exist. So uh, if you can afford to join up, we sure would appreciate it. And if you can't, we totally get it. But leave us a review wherever you find us. That would really help us out a lot. Uh, Or recommend the show to a friend. All Mm. of these things are good ways to help the show if you can't contribute in other ways. Because Mm. I totally get it. It's really hard right now. Um, And, of course, if you want soap, head on over to Etsy.com. Look for Salt Cat Soap, all one word, and you'll find a ton of fancy soaps designed by uh, M. Lopez da Silva, my wife and partner, and also a few designed by me, William Bibiani. Dibs. That's over on Etsy. So thank you, everybody, once again. And uh, sincerely yours, Bibson Whitney. (laughs) 